No one on the entire planet Earth did a better job of preaching the message of the cross than did the Apostle Paul. There's never been a greater evangelist, never been a greater missionary, never been a greater church planner, never been a greater winner of souls. And ladies and gentlemen, if the Holy Spirit of God could work through someone like the Apostle Paul, let me tell you, then the Holy Spirit of God could work through someone like you in a powerful, powerful way. Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch. It is recorded in the book of John that Jesus once said, If he is lifted up, he will draw all people unto himself. Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension are all linked to this glorious exaltation, and it is a call made to the entire world. No class, social status, race, or gender is excluded from this declaration. That is why we lift up the name of Jesus on this program every day. Our teaching pastor is Dudley Rutherford, and we join him right now with today's message. How's everybody doing today? Good, good, good. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, and grab your sermon notes if you would, please. There was an artist who painted a picture of Jesus when he was just a small child, and he's playing on the floor of his dad's carpenter shop. And the young child, Jesus, gets up and he walks over to the door, and he puts his hands out, and he grabs the side of the door. But because the sun is setting, it shines across his body, and it casts a shadow in the room behind him in the form of a cross. Jesus lived in the shadow of the cross. He was born to die. I want you to look at verse 17, if you would. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. It says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It's almost like the more we talk and the more we preach, the more we ramble on, we're taking away the beauty and the power of just the cross. I want you to write this down, that the cross of Christ is powerful in itself and of itself. It's powerful. Charles Hayden Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher from years gone by, someone came up to him almost criticizing him, and they said these words. You know, all of your sermons, they kind of all sound like it's the same sermon. They all sound alike. And Charles Spurgeon said, well, there's a reason why they all sound alike. He said, I always take the text, no matter what the text is, I read it, And then I make a beeline to the cross. And that's exactly what Paul does in addressing the carnality of the church in Corinth. He makes a beeline to the cross. I want you to look at verse 18. He continues by saying, for the message of the cross. I want you to say, message of the cross. 
It's not the, it's not, don't confuse the message of the preacher to the message of the cross. And he says that the message of the cross is two things. Number one, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. And what that means is uh, for someone who's lost and they're on their way to hell, uh, the cross and Jesus dying and the blood being shed, that's all foolishness to someone who's unsaved. But he said not only is it foolishness to those who are perishing, yet to us, who are being saved, and I hope if you're not saved, you're being saved this very moment. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is everything. The cross is everything. Can you say amen to that? You see, can actually, if you read that verse, it can be both at the exact same time. I can illustrate that right now by this room right here. Uh, There are two people sitting here right now in this room side by side. And as I'm preaching the gospel, as I preach this sermon, one person says, you know what? The music, the praise, the praying, the sermon, the message, this is all a bunch of foolishness. And sitting right next to that person, listening to the same music and to the same sermon, they're thankful because this is the power of God that saved me. They understand that and they appreciate that. So the message of the cross can be both foolish and powerful at the exact same time. Now I want to skip over to chapter 2. I want to say these words. No one on the entire planet earth did a better job of preaching the message of the cross than did the apostle Paul. Paul went on four missionary journeys. He wrote over half of the New Testament that you're holding in your hands. He remained single, could have got married, but he chose to remain single. You know why? Because he believed if he was single, he would have more time to share the message of the cross. There's never been a greater evangelist, never been a greater missionary, never been a greater church planner, never been a greater winner of souls. It wouldn't matter if he was in the courtyard of the king or if he was with a peasant out on the streets. He was going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, write this down. He had the right message. I want you to look at verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. He said, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except one thing, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I want you in your notes to write two things down there. Resolve. That means to make a decision. He made a fixed decision. It was just something he thought of. No, he chose. He decided that he would know nothing except one thing. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, we're going to leave 1 Corinthians, uh, and we're going to come back to it. But I want you to go over to the book of Acts, okay? I want to give you a little more history, a little more background to what you're reading. Go to Acts 17 and 18. Paul is on his second missionary journey. See, Paul went through and started this church in Corinth on a missionary journey. When you read 1 Corinthians, he's writing a letter back to the church that he started. I hope that makes sense. If you look in Acts 18 is where he goes to Corinth. This is way before he wrote the letter. But I want to read to you 
what happened as he's traveling right before he goes to Corinth, what happened in Athens, okay? Because you don't really understand Corinthians unless you understand what happened in Athens. So go to verse 16, Acts 17, verse 16. Paul was there. He was waiting for his uh, other friends to get there. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. This is Athens now. And so, as he always does, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, both Jews and Greeks. Now, verse 18, he's with a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. They began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler? That's what they called Paul. What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus and they said to him, Areopagus was a place where all the smart people went. It says, may we know what this new teaching is that you're uh, presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. Now, verse 21 is an amazing verse. Look at verse 21. It says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there, they spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. I guess they were bored. But that's how they spent their time. So Paul, he stands up, okay? He's going to reason with all these people. And uh, you can just tell he's trying to almost impress them with his his knowledge. He said, I'm going to read this real fast. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see every way you're very religious for I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you the God who made the world and everything in it, and the Lord of heaven and earth, and that uh, does not live in temples built by hands. Verse 25, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where and he just like he just like i mean i feel like he's just rambling there a little bit don't you do you see that a little bit now go to verse uh, 27 god did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he's not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as some of your own poets have... Now he's quoting poetry. He's quoting poets. Do you see that? Verse 29, Therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent, for he has set a day where he will judge the world and with justice by the man he's appointed he will give proof to this by all men by raising him from the dead and he just he goes on and on but look at verse 34 at the end of all that verse 34 says what there's just a few guys that actually started following paul doesn't say they followed jesus it says they started following paul and they believed There was one woman that got saved, and then he goes to Corinth. So go back to your text in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You're going to see this, all right, if you were listening there. Now, how far is it from Athens to Corinth? He didn't have a tour bus. It's 44 miles on foot. How long does that take to walk? 
44 miles traveling back in those days. You went about 20 miles a day. So and normally, he, normally he couldn't even do it in two days. So maybe two and a half days, maybe three days. So he leaves, he leaves after giving all this flowery stuff. And I mean, it's deep. It's, I mean, it's good. There's nothing wrong with it. It was good. He's quoting the poets. But only a couple people got saved. So he's going to Corinth and he walks and he walks. He got two days. Just think about this in his head. Two days he's walking. Two days. For two days he's, he's thinking, man, I messed up. I spent all that time talking to those people just on and on and on. They called me a babbler. Man, when I get to Corinth, I got to change my little talk here. Because we need more people getting saved. Amen. So that's when he says, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. He says, I resolved, I made a decision when I came to your city that when I was with you, here's my decision, that I would know, I, I know nothing. I know nothing but one thing. And what's the one thing? Jesus Christ and him what? Crucified. He simplified his message. You see, and I think you could ask Paul any question because he, he was smart. Yeah, you could ask him about his theology. You could ask him his views on the second coming of Jesus Christ. You could ask him, Paul, are you afraid to die? Uh, you could ask him that question. You could ask him, Lord, we got all these problems in the church. What are we going to do? He said, I, no matter what you asked him, I'm resolved to know one thing. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know... I think about so many of us, we invite people to church. And I, I love it when you invite people to church, and I want you to invite everybody to church. But when you invite someone to church, that is not sharing the gospel. When you say, hey, would you come hear my preacher preach? Oh, I love that. I like that. But that's not, you're not sharing the gospel when you say, hey, come hear my preacher preach. And, and I think about even when you hand someone a Bible, and I want you to hand out as many Bibles as you can. But that's really not sharing, that's not verbally you communicating the gospel. Sharing the gospel is when you open up your mouth and you begin to tell someone that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross. And when Jesus died on that cross and he shed his blood, that blood was an atonement for our sins. Now that's the gospel and that's what you and I need to learn how to explain that to people. That's the only way someone's going to get saved. He had the right message. Number two, he had the right model. Write that down. He had the right model. Now, stay with me. I always, this is just me, and I don't know about you, but when I think of the Apostle Paul, I've always thought he was fearless, that he was bold, that he was tough, that he was a man's man. He did not eat quiche. I always picture him as someone who, you know, he, he, eats, he, he eats nails for breakfast. I just always pictured that's who he was until I came to verse 3. And this is what the text says. Even though he had the right message, verse 3, he says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much what? He's, he's shaken. He's nervous. He's scared. He's fearful. Oh, you ought to love verse. That, that verse ought to encourage every one of you. 
He's just like you. He's just like me. There are many times where I know, I know I should go share Christ with someone and I just get all nervous and I, I, I don't know I'm nervous. I wonder if the words come out wrong. And, and you're just like the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 1. He says, when I, when I came to you, he had just left Athens. He said, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. You see, I always thought he was an eloquent speaker, that he was a marvelous orator, that he was a powerful communicator, that he was the master of language. I, I thought that whenever he spoke, that the words just rolled off his tongue like a hot knife going through butter. But not according to verse 1. And according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, this is the second letter. Here's, look at this verse. It says that some people, talking about Paul, some people say his letters are weighty, which means it's heavy, it's deep, and it's uh, forceful, which means it's not very sweet. If you read it, it's not, I mean, it's like, it's forceful. And they weren't really complimenting him there. Those are kind of negative things. They say his letters are weighty and, and forceful, but in person, and I'm expecting them to say, oh, he was just the nicest guy ever. No, but it says that in person he's very unimpressive. And his speaking, whew, it amounts to what? I want you to write this down. He might have been the world's worst speaker. He might have been, when you read these verses, he might have been the world's worst speaker. And yet, he accomplished so much for God. What was the secret? What was the secret to his success? He's unimpressive. His speaking amounts to nothing. He's nervous. He's trembling. He's shaking. He's afraid. Well, he was a perfect model. How was he a perfect model? Write this down. Because he saw himself as a vessel, as an instrument, as a tool in the hands of Almighty God. I want you to look at verse 4. He says, my preaching. Everyone say, my preaching. Uh, I'm not talking about your preaching. We're talking about his preaching. He says, my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, he believed, even though he wasn't a very good speaker. Oh, he was smart, but he wasn't a very good speaker. He wasn't a very good communicator, verbal communicator. He believed that the Holy Spirit of God was working in him in a powerful, powerful way. And ladies and gentlemen, if the, if the Holy Spirit of God could work through someone like the Apostle Paul, let me tell you, then the Holy Spirit of God can work through someone like you in a powerful, powerful way. He can do that. The very first sermon I ever preached, I was about 16 years of age. And uh, I borrowed one of my grandfather's sermons. I didn't think he would mind since he was dead. And uh, he was born in the year 1900. He died when I was four, so he'd been dead for 12 years. And uh, his sermon notes were written on a piece of paper about the size of the, of the sermon notes, but they were hand-typed, front and back, about eight pages, front and back. They didn't have computers back there. 
So he typed it. I had his sermon. And I remember I'd gone over it and over and over and over again, practice, and then I stood up. It took me about 45 minutes to just to read it, to read through it. And I stood in the pulpit in a church, and, and the first sermon, I preached my grandfather's sermon word for word. I'm not exaggerating. I was so nervous, they had a microphone onto the pulpit, and my knees were knocking and hitting the pulpit. You could hear, you could hear my knees knocking through the whole sermon. And at the end of the sermon, someone stepped forward. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> really? Like, you know, it's like when Peter got out of jail, they said, hey, we're praying. What are you doing here? It's like, what are you doing? Oh, I come forward today to give my life to Jesus Christ. That's what I'm doing. And my point is that your availability is far more important than your ability. And if you're here today... And you say, well, I'm not very talented and the words just don't come out right and I'm just scared half the time. Good! That's exactly the type of person that God can work through. I actually think the more talented you are, the more gifted you are, the more difficult it is for God to use you because you've got so much pride and arrogance because you think you're all that. Listen, there are many reasons why we fail to witness but one of them is we're just afraid we don't know what to say and and most of the great soul winners that i know are people who never went to bible college they 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 could never explain the greek text uh but they know they know that jesus saves and you don't have to know greek you don't have to know hebrew you don't have to be an ordained pastor you just have to be willing to attempt just attempt in your feeble words to just try to share the message of God, the love of God with those around you and your feeble words. The Holy Spirit will take those words and he'll use you to share the gospel and to lead other people to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does that through you and he does it through me. It's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. If Pastor Dudley's message has been a blessing to you, we would like to encourage you to consider joining in partnership with us so we can continue to be here every day to bless others with this important ministry. Your gifts, whether large or small, are greatly appreciated and go directly to help keep us on the air. You can find out more about supporting us by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. 4777. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. Wouldn't it be great if there were accessible answers to our spiritual problems? Just like there's a smartphone app for calculating a tip or getting directions to a local store. Most of us have heard the phrase, there's an app for that, popularized by the creators of the iPhone. Well, God has an app for the common problems faced by Christians everywhere. Are you stressed out? God has an app for that. Problem with crude language or gossip? Struggling with prejudice? Brokenhearted? Anxious? Or depressed? God has an app for that too. Pastor Dudley's book, God Has an App for That, is available now for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. This helpful resource can be yours right now by calling our toll-free number 
888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also get God Has an App for That on our website, liftupjesus.com. That address again is liftupjesus.com. Come and explore the book of James and discover God's user-friendly solutions for some of the biggest challenges we all face daily. Get your copy of Pastor Dudley's book, God Has an App for That, today. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us tomorrow at the same time as we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.